12, verse 1. It should be familiar to us by now. Excuse me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Tonight, we are going to continue talking about holiness. And holiness is such a vast topic that at least for the next week, uh, at least for another week after this, we'll probably talk about holiness, if not longer. Uh, because holiness is vitally important in Jesus' name. So let's pray right now, and let's ask God to be with us tonight and to have his way in our lives. God, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would anoint our ears God, I know your word is anointed. I know I'm anointed. God, I pray that you would give me sensitivity to operate in your anointing. God, we want you to move in our hearts and in our minds, in our lives, in our families, in our bodies, in our church, God, in our city. In the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you for the opportunity to actively participate in holiness. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, you can be seated. We have spent some time defining holiness. And hold on just a moment. Holiness is as I already mentioned, a vast subject that we could spend countless hours discussing. Uh, we have already defined holiness, both the Old Testament and the New, script, New Testament scriptures define the character and behavior of the people of God with that word holiness, Deuteronomy 7, 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special or separated people unto himself above all people that are above, upon the face of the earth. But you are a chosen generation in 1 Peter 2, 9, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, a unique treasure. And so we understand that holiness is an attribute of God. We'll talk about that again here in a moment. Uh, we know that there are three major elements of holiness that we could pull from the definitions that we have discussed the past uh, week or so, and those are separation, perfection, and purity. And as we look at the character of God, we know that his character could be defined, or at least two major defining attributes of his character are love and holiness. 
let me just, because I, I keep trying to find the right place to just say this, and I'll just go ahead and say it now. Uh, holiness is directly opposed to everything the world is. And really, we could say that the world is directly opposed to everything that holiness is. Because God is holy and God has been in existence far longer than the world ever was. Both in physical, earthly form or spiritual form. God is hes the bomb. In Him we live, in Him we move, in Him we have our being, in Him we exist. He is. He was. He is to come. The Almighty. And so... When we talk about holiness, sometimes we're, we're going to get uncomfortable when we talk about unholiness. And that's okay. If we came to church and we never got uncomfortable, I'd probably be preaching the wrong things. The Bible talks about having uh, people that heap to themselves teachers and then the people have itching ears. So just, just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what will satisfy me. Well... There's going to be times where we have a high time in God and man, it's just love and, and pleasing uh, and, and it's just a great time. And then there's also going to be times that are also times of love that are pleasing, that feel good after. They may not feel good in the moment, but that's because who we are as men and women as carnal finite beings were created in that world that was opposed to holiness opposed to godliness and which is why the bible says he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light and so when we talk about holiness and and a good way to think about holiness as it pertains to actions, and I'm really getting ahead of myself, is does this action bring me closer to God or does it push me further away from God? And if it pushes me further away from God, it's probably not holy. And so we want to be holy because God is holy. Yes, God is love, but God is also holy. Uh, more than 50 times in Scripture, in fact, we are told that God is is holy and we're not going to read those scriptures that we have already read previously if you have not if or if you were not here last week go back on the podcast listen to family time uh from last week and we talked about these things a little more in depth but we're just giving us a little refresher before we move on uh we know because the bible tells us that not only is God holy, everything about Him is holy. Everything that He commands is holy. Everything that He establishes is holy. Everything that He ordains, everything He decrees is holy. When He created the earth, when He created mankind, when He created creation, He created it holy. Which is why we find the first man and the first woman living in a state of innocence. Holiness was innocence. Innocence is involved in holiness. But when sin entered into the world, 
all of a sudden, their eyes were open. And they had to try to make accommodations for their unholiness. And they couldn't do it. And so we are made holy because God's sacrifice. We are sanctified, justified. His righteousness is given to us. And so God wants, He desires a holy people. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. If I'm going to live for God, then I'm going to work on my holiness. I want to strive to be holy. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How I present my body to the world. How I present my body to God is attached to holiness. Is attached. There are things that are acceptable unto God and there are things that are not acceptable unto God. And holiness is a reasonable service. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so, these, these two scriptures, among a lot of others that we're not going to take the time to read tonight, but these scriptures here just give us enough basis for this message tonight to let us know that holiness is important. Holiness is essential. Holiness is a necessary element of our Christian life. In fact, I said it last week, I'll say it again tonight, holiness is the only lifestyle of the true, spiritually, scripturally obedient Christian. It's a distinguishing characteristic. It separates us from the world. It separates us from who we used to be. It separates us from the place where he found us. You say, well, I found him. Well, he wasn't lost. I was lost. You were lost. Where he found us, it separates us from that place he, he's bringing us out of darkness into his marvelous light first thessalonians 4 7 for god hath not called us unto uncleanness but unto holiness and so when we start living for god there are going to be things that come to our our minds I'm like man you know i've done this for a long time but it just doesn't feel right anymore uh this just doesn't i just don't just don't think I should be doing this. And maybe somebody said something, but a lot of times no one has to say anything. Because last week we talked about inward holiness. And, and when, he, uh, when we allow him to work on us on the inside, and, and he makes our inside clean, then all of a sudden that starts shining outwardly. And things that used to be comfortable are no longer comfortable. Not because... The activity has changed because I have changed. I'm not the same person I was. I'm not the same individual I was. I'm, I'm different. Well, what's different? I've been born again. So I'm not the same person I was. Before, I was just operating under natural law. 
But now I'm operating under spiritual law. Not just the letter of the law, not just a list of do's and don'ts. But there is a desire in the heart of those who are striving to be pleasing to God that I, I just I just see things differently than I used to. Holiness, in, as it pertains to these scriptures here, there's an emphasis in these scriptures on personal holiness. That it is necessary. It's a distinguishing characteristic. And let me just preface the rest of this message tonight by telling you that when you get hold of a love for God that surpasses anything else in your life, there is nothing that He could ask of you that may be uncomfortable in the beginning. But when you start realizing, the more I lay down, the Bible tells us to lay down every weight and the sin so that does so easily beset us, that does so easily trip us up and, and makes us fall backward and, and, and makes us get off the mark. And, and that's really what sin is. It's just missing the mark. This is where I'm aiming, but I, I ended up over here. And, and I don't know why, but I just, I, I just kind of started following my carnal nature a little bit. Uh, but when I get a hold of a love for God, then, then all of a sudden I, I don't want to miss the mark anymore. I don't want to get off course anymore. And I'll realize that, I'll realize that there, there might be things in my Christian walk that God asks me to lay down or they just don't feel the same anymore that might be sin, but they may not be sin. But they might be sin for me. And so, that's why we, we spent time last week emphasizing inward holiness. I got to get it right on the inside. I got to get, get my heart right. And if I get my heart right, if, if I'm praying and I'm seeking God and I'm filled with His Spirit and I'm, I'm living a life where I'm, I'm dying to my carnal nature, that means I'm tired of missing the mark and I'm, I'm trying to get as close to the mark, I'm trying to get as close to the target as I can, then all of a sudden everything else will just start falling into place. Nobody's going to have to come to you and say, hey, you've got to get this right. You're not going to have to be badger. You're not going to have, but it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. And so we talked about it last week. Uh, two dimensions of personal holiness. And that is inward holiness and outward holiness. We talked about Jesus and the Pharisees when he told them that the outside of their vessels looked perfect, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. That means that they looked the part on the outside, but inside they were not pure. They were not holy. And so therefore they were entirely unholy. And so we know that the outside can be dirty, 
The inside can be dirty, the outside can be dirty, and the inside can be clean. The inside could be dirty and the outside could be clean. But what we're striving for is I want both the inner man and the outward man to be clean, to be holy. Because true holiness begins inside and progresses outside. Holiness involves the entire being. So just because Jesus told the Pharisees that outside they looked good, but inside they were full of dead men's bones, does not mean that inward holiness is the only holiness that matters. How we present our bodies unto God and to the world matters. Both inward and outward holiness are essential distinguishing characteristics and elements of the Christian life. So tonight, we're going we're gonna to talk about external or outward holiness, but there's also an element that, that combines both of these that we're going to talk about, and, and next week we're going to get into some guidelines uh, and talk a little bit more about outward holiness as it pertains to how we dress. But there is something that I want to go over tonight, <clears throat> as long as I'm able to. Uh, internal holiness is vital. And authentic, real, internal holiness will eventually result in external holiness. But external holiness is about more than just the way we dress. Now, we're going to take a few moments here tonight before we go any further. In Romans 12, 1, we're going to read that again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I began to study those two words, reasonable service. And they really go hand in hand. Uh, basically, it, it means logic, working through divine reasoning, that is known because I have faith. So my faith is tied to my common sense. Faith is tied to my ability to think. And because I have faith, then that gives me the rationale to be able to understand that because God's holy, I ought to be holy. And it's a reasonable service, which means quite literally... It's not unreasonable. And it's not unreasonable. The world will tell you it's unreasonable, but they don't have the faith that you have. They haven't experienced what you've experienced. And so they can't understand it. Don't get mad at them. They just don't know because they haven't experienced it. But when you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and you've seen what God can do in an instant, then all of a sudden stuff just starts making sense. It's a reasonable service because it's tied to my experience of faith. So the believer grasps, gets hold of divine reasonableness because God has birthed in them faith. And so 
there's a connection between logikos. It's the root or the word for reason, whose root word is logos. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. The word was with God, the word was God. And so when it's imputed into my life, then all of a sudden the word makes sense. It's a reasonable service. It's a reasonable service. So outward holiness is not unreasonable. It's not extreme because we have experienced the impartation of righteousness. And so external holiness begins with being a living sacrifice unto God. There are going to be times where it's not convenient to present my body holy. It's not convenient to change the, the manner in which I dress. Man, it gets hot in the summertime. Ladies, it gets cold in the wintertime. It's not always going to be convenient. But because we have experienced the presence and power of God, it is a form of worship to present myself holy. To present myself different from the world. So by definition, to sacrifice is to offer up, to give something that is dear and costly. And so when it comes to my body, I cannot allow, and this is holiness, this is outward holiness. I cannot allow my body to be involved in sinful deeds or activities. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. And so, one of the first things that we have to do is we have to learn to say no to our flesh. We have to learn to say no to Satan. We have to learn to say no to worldly desires. That just because I used to respond a certain way does not mean I'm going to respond that way. I may want to respond, but I'm going to tell my flesh no. That is involved with holiness. And Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him abstain. Let him disown himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Titus 2.12, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. So there's action and there's decision on my part. So it's not just inward holiness, but the inward holiness leads to outward holiness. And it leads to how I act. It leads to how I present myself and what I do with the appetite of my flesh so i'm going to be bringing my appetites the desires of my flesh under control under the control of the holy ghost that's not insignificant folks every time you're tempted and you resist temptation that's a spiritual victory i mean that don't you discount that every time you're tempted and you resist and you overcome that temptation, that's a spiritual victory. You just poke the devil in the eyeball. And it might be five minutes later and he tries to do it again. Just poke him in the other eye. 
No, I don't want to pray. I'm going to go to the church and pray. I'm going to overcome that temptation to be idle. I'm going to overcome the temptation to be lazy. Oh, I, I want to say something I'm not supposed to say or, or that it's not godly. Then I, I'm going to overcome that temptation. Poking the devil in the eye. Kicking him in the shins. I'm putting a hurting on it. So what I do, how I act, how I present myself, what I do with the desires of my flesh are crucial because it affects my eternity. It's not a light thing. Romans 8, 13, for if you live, that means your lifestyle. If your lifestyle is after the flesh, you're going to die. But if, and that means eternally, eternal damnation. But if you through the spirit do mortify or you kill the deeds of your flesh, you overcome them, then you're going to find eternal life in a heavenly home that one way or another you're going to spend eternity somewhere but how you act and how you respond matters so this this verse was written to to spirit-filled christians in rome there was all kinds of stuff going on in rome when this was written all kinds of stuff we're not we don't we're not going to take the time tonight to go through the context of it you can do that on your own and worldly leaders that uh, some of them tolerated Christianity others hated Christianity and the leaders of Rome were very sinful individuals and so at times they used the Christians as scapegoats to try to place the blame upon them for their own misdeeds and so no doubt because they were red-blooded human beings, there were times where they felt like the best course of, of action would have been a physical revolt. But the writer of Romans is saying, hey, uh, you, you got to make sure, even in this wicked world, even in this twisted society, what you do matters. You can't justify your actions just because society is so bad. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you have to deny your flesh. You have to control your carnal appetites. Bring the body under the control of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. And you know this verse, this verse will preach. But I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. I'm bringing my carnality under control of the Spirit, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway it doesn't matter who you are what position you hold or do not hold what title you have in front of your name how many degree notifications you have after your name it, everybody's got carnality everybody's got flesh and everybody's got to overcome it and paul's telling us hey if you don't get the carnal body under control then you've got the potential of being a spiritual castaway a spiritual reject we don't want so our body's the temple of God. God's only going to dwell in the temple that's holy. So our body doesn't belong to us. It's not our personal property. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's God's temple. And so now we have become the keepers or the guardians of God's temple. And so it's our responsibility to keep it pure. There's a very straightforward New Testament judgment. 
found in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Which temple you are. And so, I've got to decide. What am I going to do? Am I going to live in carnality? Am I going to try to come to church and feel the benefits of being in the presence of God? And then just go out and live any old way I want to. Try to get the best of both worlds. This is a, this is a farming analogy. If anybody's ever built a fence, you know that fences have posts. And the old analogy is, well, they're just straddling the fence. Well, every eight feet, there's a post. And when you get to that post, you're either going to experience severe physical pain or you are going to get off one side or the other. Or you're just not going to go anywhere and you'll just die straddling the fence. And so the purpose of holiness is to say, okay, I'm not going to straddle the fence. There's a line here. And, and I, I may not be perfect. I may not be looking like the other sheep look as soon as I get into the fold. But as long as there is continual progress forward, when God starts dealing with me, I respond. I believe that God is pleased with progress. God is pleased with progress. What is the purpose of holiness? 1 Corinthians 6.20 We're bought with a price. A price we did not pay. And because we did not pay that price, we really got off easy so we're bought with a price therefore it's our duty our honor our privilege duty is not really the right word it's a reasonable service to glorify God in our body and our spirit both of which are God's both of which are God's so that verse there tells us hey Jesus was trying to tell the Pharisees Inward holiness does not do away with outward holiness. And outward holiness does not do away with inward holiness. So I'm going to glorify God in my body, that which is visible, and in my spirit, that which is invisible. So the divine purpose of our inward and outward holiness is to bring glory to God. Our holy lifestyle is a testimony to mankind. And, and watch this, 1 Corinthians 4.9. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. So when we perfect holiness in both spirit and body, we are shaming a disobedient world. Not that we want them to go to hell, but our holy lifestyle is saying, hey, there's a different way. There's a different way. 
You don't have to live that way. You don't have to walk that way. You don't have to keep going through that. That that my holy lifestyle can spark a question in somebody else's mind. And then when they come and they ask me, or I see the question form behind their eyes, and, and I can tell they've got something they want to ask, then I can approach them and I can say, Hey, what's up? You got a question? You good? What's your name? Do you go to church anywhere? And then I, I've got to be ready to give a reason for the hope. Well, why, do you, why are you dressed this way? Why do you look this way? Why don't you do this? Or why do you do this? And by doing so, we are, are looking in the face of secular culture. And we're telling secular culture, I'm not bowing to you. I'm not bowing to your whim. I'm not bowing to your plan. I'm not giving in. I'm not breaking down. I'm not stooping down to your level. I don't have to follow your trends and your fads in order to be popular or be cool or so on and so forth. And so my holy lifestyle in body and in spirit is shaming a disobedient world. It also discredits fallen angels. The fallen angels couldn't live for God when there wasn't a devil. And so now that he is loosed in the earth, creating havoc, we are looking at him and we're poking him in the eyes. We're kicking him in the kneecaps and we're saying, hey, I'm doing what you couldn't do when you weren't even fulfilling the role that you're now filling. And so we are able to discredit Satan. And we are also giving honor unto God. Because God is a holy God and we are His holy people. So we're going to talk about some guidelines next week in regard to outward holiness and why. But, but like I said, there is an area that, that bridges both gaps or bridges the gap between inward and outward holiness. And I believe that it's not straddling the fence. It's just part of both. Because the Bible tells us that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so this is an area of holiness that does not get talked about much. And it is our manner of speech. Our manner of speech. We are instructed in Scripture to control our tongue. Our behavior is influenced. Our behavior is affected by our communication. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, Be not deceived, evil communication or evil communications corrupt good manners wicked conversation corrupts moral behavior our manner of speech matters just so you know it's not just my words and my thoughts proverbs 21 Verse 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Now, let me just preface 
the rest of this lesson tonight and let you know that I'm not singling any one person out. This is something that we all face. This is something we all deal with, so don't be wandering around, looking around, seeing who it's he, I'm targeting tonight. It's every one of us. There's a reason why God chose speaking in tongues as the outward evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that's because I believe it was James who wrote that the tongue was a small member. What a great fire it can kindle. It's the most unruly member of our body. And so God's saying, hey, if I can take that tongue, if you'll allow me to have control of your tongue, then it's going to be easier for you to learn how to live for me, how to submit to me. So whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, 1 Timothy 5.13, and not only idle, but tattlers, also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not James 3, 2, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Bridling the tongue allows me to bridle my entire body. Philippians, do all things without murmurings and disputings. 1 Peter 4, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. Listen to this. As a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. What I do, what I say, is equated with murder. Well, I would never. Do you remember that conversation? You would. Well, I would never. But you have. I would never steal. But you stole someone else's opinion of a brother or a sister. I would never murder, but you committed murder of character, murder of good intention. And so what I do with my mouth, with my words, is important. So... Wicked and ungodly conversation corrupts moral behavior. It does. There are several types of speech and verbal behavior that the Bible tells us as Christians that we are to avoid. Some of these we're going to spend more time on than others, not because some are less important than others, but some are more self-explanatory than others. Tail-bearing and gossip. Make sure I'm on the right slide. That's what happens when you duplicate slides and you forget to delete the duplicates. Tailbearing and gossip. Psalm 101. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbearer among thy people. So, to be a tailbearer, and these are Webster's definitions. To be a tailbearer is to be one who spreads gossip or rumors. 
And let me just preface and say that gossip can be true. Don't think that just because something is true that it's okay to share. Well, do you know what so-and-so did? Do you know what happened because they were here and there? Who made it your business to share? It's not. It's not. Slander. The utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame and damage another's reputation. Do you know there can be legal ramifications for slander? Why would we think it's okay in the church? Even the world knows it's not okay. So, when we think about those definitions, we think about whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. What I'm talking about matters. What I'm talking about has the ability to, to bring me closer to God or to make God cut me off from His presence. He that uttereth a slander is a fool. First, uh, First Timothy 5.13 says that Christians should not be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle. That means just not doing anything. You get in trouble when you're just hanging out, not doing anything. When you have no purpose. When you have no vision. Uh, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't take a day off. Uh, that's, that's, if, you, if you just have no goals... Let me, I just, we're just going to be real tonight. Most of the time, people that talk about other people are jealous because they aren't doing anything in their life or they're not doing anything with their life. And so they look at other people who God is blessing and they say, well, that church has got to be growing because they're letting down on their standards. That's slander. That's slander. And so, if I'm just idle and not doing anything with no goals, with no ambitions, and, and let me just <clears throat> break it down this way. Um, I know of uh, a church it's a very strong very powerful church and they have I think there's 18 daughter works and and mission works and so on and so forth and the bishop was in ill health and his son was installed as the pastor and he told a friend of his he said hey please when I'm gone I want you to be a friend to my son he's going to need it and it wasn't that his son is a bad young man. His son is very powerful. His son is a praying man. His son is consecrated. But the fact of the matter is, somebody from the outside just looking in sees 18 daughter works and people get jealous and people get stupid. Don't let that be you. I don't want that to be me. Paul said, rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Stop trying to find meaning where there is no meaning. 
Don't be a talebearer. Don't be a gossip. Get some ambition. Because if you don't have ambition, it's going to be a lot easier to fall into the category of being a tattler, being a busybody, speaking things which you ought not speak. Another form or manner of speech that we are to avoid is murmuring and complaining. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. 1 Corinthians 10.10, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, Israel did, waiting on an entire generation to die off because all they could do was murmur and complain because the promised land was too big. Well, I don't know how we're going to do it. But God said it before you. And if God said it before you, then God can do it. To murmur is to grumble and to complain. It has an implied meaning of griping, whining, moaning, fretting, and fussing. It's muttering, whispering under the breath. Anybody that's got a child, what did you say? That's what I thought. Yeah. Your hair looks really nice today. That's not what you said. Let me tell you something. It, it's, it, it's very frustrating to hear of folks that are doing their best, who are trying to lead, trying to push forward in their departments, in their ministry, and the only time some contact them is to tell them, hey, you missed a detail. Hey, did you think of this? What do you think I do? Your manner of speech matters. How you present the situation matters. So I'm trying to watch myself tonight when I'm preaching. Because how I present this matters. To murmur and grumble is to complain. God sent fiery serpents among the children of Israel in the wilderness because they murmured and complained. You can read it for yourself in Numbers 21. Another manner of speech that we ought to uh, avoid is spreading discord, strife, or conflict. Proverbs 6.19 the Lord hates a false witness, those that speak lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. What are you sowing? Are you sowing faith? Are you sowing evangelism? Are you sowing prayer? Or are you sowing discord? Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. The Lord hates in Proverbs 6. We'll get to Romans 16 in a minute. I want to get ahead of myself. Again, these are Webster's definitions in the box that to be false is to imply deception. Deception. 
God hates deceivers, deceptive witnesses. You know that's how they crucified Jesus. Well, out of the mouth of two, out of the mouth of three, let everything be established. Well, what if the two are lying? And they were. Took his words out of context. He that soweth discord among the brethren. Discord is a lack of agreement. It's a lack of harmony. A lack of unity between persons, things, or ideas. Strife. Webster defines it as bitter, sometimes violent conflict or dissension. They go on to define conflict as uh, competitive or opposing action of incompatibles. Antagonistic state or action as of divergent ideas, interests, or persons. Synonymous words with conflict are fight, battle, and war. So, what are you sowing? What kind of environment are you creating around you? What kind of fellowship are you having? What kind of culture are you cultivating? Is there always something wrong? with what somebody else is doing. What are you sowing? I don't want to spread discord. I don't want to sow discord because you know what I'll reap? Discord. If I'm sowing lies, do you know what I'm going to reap? Lies. If I'm sowing conflict, do you know what I'm going to reap? Conflict. Dissension? I'm reaping dissension. And my life is going to be a cycle of sowing and harvesting destruction. But I don't have to live in that cycle. I can change what I'm talking about. I, I want my conversation to be holy. I want my conversation to be centered around Christ. I want my conversation to be centered around revival. What can we do to help people become? What can we do to win souls? What can we do to, to further the kingdom? Now, Romans 16. <laughs> beseech you, therefore, brethren. Or, sorry, I beseech you, brethren. Mark them which cause divisions. Now, there's contention about this verse. Other translations put it this way, and I've, I've found it easier to explain just by giving you how the other translations uh, paraphrased this verse because it took all of the definitions and it just kind of compiled them. Mark them. Other translations say stay away from them. Avoid them. Turn away from them. If you were to study the definitions, it literally means fix your eyes on them so you get a good look at who they are. You get a good look about what they're about and then run from them. You don't want to be involved with people that cause division because God is one. God's not about division. 
God's not about just having a little group over here and a little group over here. And I'm going to live for God over here and you're going to live for God over there, but we're going to hate each other. We're going to go to the same church. We're going to sit in the same sanctuary, but don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't come to my house. Don't sit down next to me at fellowship. I hate your rotten guts. They just tell you, that ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen quietly anyway. What we say matters. Another manner of speech that we are to avoid is the swearing of oaths. James 5.12, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into condemnation, unless you make yourself a liar, unless you find yourself separated unto God. Well, I'd never do that. Just say no. Just say no. To swear means to pledge a vow, to make a covenant, to make a promise while under oath. Another area or manner of speech that directly ties to holiness is filthy communication. Filthy communication. Vile or unclean conversation. Colossians 3.8, that now you also put off filthy communication out of your mouth. The little ellipsis in there means that there's more to that verse, but for time and space, we shorten it. So I don't want to have any part in vile conversation. I don't want to have any part in unclean conversation. Because I don't want to miss the mark. Because if I'm involved in that kind of conversation, that stuff gets into my mind. But Levi, it can get down in my spirit. And it can lead to ungodly thoughts. And it can lead to ungodly desires. So, young people, even if you go to the Christian school, if there's ungodly conversation going on, but if you go to the Christian school, you just start screaming. You can do that too if you go to public school. They'll stay away from you. Start screaming, slapping lockers, and speaking in tongues. They'll be like, oh my word, who is Taylor stuffing today? What is Junior doing? Homie's gone loco. Lana must have hit him in the head again. That's not holy action either, sister. I don't, yeah, that's not holy action there, sister. Navi, not for you either. Yeah, that's true. So I want to be part of godly conversation. I want to be a part of clean conversation. Let me talk to those who work in factories. I've never worked in a factory. That doesn't make me better than anybody else. It's just not something I've experienced, but I have heard a lot about it. You got to be careful. You have got to be careful. And 
Yeah. You just got to be careful. My advice would be be careful while you look for another job, but I'm not going to tell you that. There's a lot that goes on there. A lot. And so you can be a witness, but just as easily you can also get sucked into the crowd. Young people, you just as easily get sucked into the crowd at school. You can just as easily get sucked into the, the crowd of friends. Man, and I know how it is. You don't want to look weird. You don't want to sound weird. You want to be cool. You want everybody to like you. And that's normal. Okay? That's normal. But you got to pray that God helps you not to be normal. Because normal will take you down a path of brokenness. Normal will take you down a path of heartache. And so we're striving for holiness in every area, even our conversation. Another area in the manner of speech is cursing and reviling. To curse or revile is to uh, defame, to damn, as in damnation, to denigrate, to use offensive, abusive language, to call someone derogatory names, like you're skinny and no one likes you. Sorry, Isaiah. Or you're very large and you're in my way. That's an Adventures and Odyssey reference for those I'm not picking on anybody. Uh, I've got places to go, people to beat up, problems to cause. Get out of my way, bonehead. Uh, James 3, verses 8 through 10 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. He goes on to say, My brethren, these things ought not so to be. And this is James, the earthly brother of Jesus Christ. Because the apostle James, brother of John, was the first martyr in the New Testament. And Romans 12 and verse 14, bless them which persecute you. Jesus, help us. Bless and curse not. He's still working on me. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God. There's a long list of other things in there. Just as sweet water and bitter water cannot flow from the same well, Blessing and cursing really should not be coming from the same mouth. I know we get upset. I know we get angry. The Bible tells us to be angry and sin not. Sometimes when I get angry, the best thing for me to do is bite my tongue. Harder to do than it is to say. Easier said than done. But I want to be pleasing to God. I'm almost done. Another area 
of speech that we ought to avoid is lying or bearing false witness. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou knowest the commandments do not bear false witness. Lie not one to another. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Another scripture that is not there says that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And so God, who cannot lie, desires a people who will not lie. Idle words. Idle words can be defined as pointless, unnecessary, frivolous, senseless, and uncontrolled words. The term indicates an individual who talks or babbles nonstop, who speaks before thinking. I heard one man say, I say things that I don't even agree with. He said, does it just pop out? And I don't even agree with that. Idle words. I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. What I say off the cuff matters. What I say in the heat of the moment matters. Married couples, you know, you get in an argument, you say things you don't believe, say things that you don't mean. I hate your rotten guts. You don't. You don't. Well, I'll leave that alone. Every, every idle word. Every idle word. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. We need to be careful what we say because life and death are in the power of our tongue. Second to last slide. Vulgar talking and unclean humor is another area or manner of speech in which we ought to avoid. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 4, Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness or obscenity or foolish talking. It means folly and idiocy. Don't be an idiot. Or jesting. It means vulgarity, which are not convenient or proper, but rather giving of thanks. So, what this verse is, is not saying is that we shouldn't joke or be playful or even talk trash while we're playing games. Because we all know that we don't really mean those things and we're just having fun. And it's not our intention to hurt anybody's feelings, but if you're going to lose, <laughs> your feelings are going to get hurt anyway. <laughs> but these Greek words in this scripture refer to vulgar lewd, suggestive, joking, bantering. Some jokes, some stories might be funny, even if they're off-color, dirty. An old word is smutty. 
but that's not the type of conversation that leads me to holiness. That's not the kind of conversation that brings me closer to God. And so the fact is that if you were to be interested in listening to a lot of comedians, uh, and I like to laugh, and so I like comedy, but worldly comedians can't tell a joke without swearing. Worldly comedians can't tell a joke that's not off color. And really, they're just using the smutty, nasty, suggestive jokes to further their career. Uh, and so you have to be careful when you're, when you're searching for something to laugh at and make sure that, hey, this isn't something that's going to lead me away from God. And uh, I believe that God wants us to laugh. I believe that uh, there's nothing wrong with laughing. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. But we got to make sure that we're laughing at the right things. we got to make sure that we're not sitting around telling a bunch of dirty jokes, so on and so forth. Using the Lord's name in vain, spend a whole night talking about this, but thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The name of the Lord is holy. Uh, in fact, it is so holy that the Jews won't even speak or write Jehovah or Yahweh. And so they've, they've removed letters so they're not writing the entire name, the entire title. And so we live in a world that just, God this, Jesus this, and they've taken God's name and they've turned it into a swear word. And then they've also used euphemisms, which are words or phrases that are substituted for another word. Uh, and euphemisms are used because they sound similar to the replaced word. And so, be careful what you say. Be careful at what entertains you. Be careful the conversations you get into at school or at work or at church. Because you have the ability to build someone up. You have the ability to tear them down. In fact, uh, let me find this. Someone sent it to me Saturday. It's a poem called Which Am I? And the writer says, I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a mighty heave and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and a sidewall fell. I said to the foreman, are these men as skilled as the men you'd hire if you had to build? He gave a laugh and said, no, indeed. Just a common laborer is all I need. And I can wreck in a day or two 
what it took the builder a year to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, just which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by the rule and square? Or am I a wrecker as I walk the town, content with the labor of tearing down? Are you just a common laborer? Or are you a builder? You can do either with the same mouth, with the same tongue, with the same ability to form words. Psalm 19 and verse 14 as we stand. Let the words of my mouth he goes on to say, and the meditations of mine heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Psalm 39, 1, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace. The words that come from our mouths matter. How you say it matters. The fact is, you don't know what someone's been through in a day. You don't know what someone's been through in their life. And so, you have the ability to help draw them closer to God or push them further away from God just in what you say and how you say it. I want my words seasoned with the Spirit. Are they always? No, they're not always. But I want them to be. Am I perfect? No. Are you perfect? Thank you. I'm not going to tell you that you're not perfect. I'm not going to slander you, even though it's true. But we're striving for perfection. We're striving for holiness. I want us to lift our hands tonight. I want us to thank God for holiness. I want us to thank God for our fellow brothers our fellow sisters, our fellow church members. And I want us to pray that God would help us to be builders and not just common laborers. Come on, that's it. You can tell that that's, that's hard to pray, so we need to pray it. It's hard to pray without being pushed and without music and, and all of those things. So let's, let's take some time tonight and let's pray that God would help us with our mouths, with our words.